Welcome to the Emmaus Fellowship Teaching Podcast. We trust you find this encouraging. Emmaus Fellowship is located at 205 North Pine Street in Woodland Park, Colorado. Our phone number is 719-687-6061. We trust you find this encouraging as you pour over God's Word with us. Gave me a voice and a song Taught me how to sing Hey gang, so I've taken a few takes here on this and I'm hoping this one sticks, <laughs> being honest with you. Um, I just really feel like this is an important message that I want to share. I'm feeling some resistance in it. Um, and so I just want to just press in and maybe, yeah, just let you know that on the front end so that you can be praying as you receive it. Here's the deal. There's so much about the mystery of Christ that the enemy does not want us to understand. That he would keep us content with a fast food form of Christianity, a transactional form of Christianity, a um, a form of Christianity that like tickles our ears, but doesn't really like motivate us to do anything. It's like, come on, yeah, he'll keep us in that place as long as he can. And so, for Paul to say these words, my passion is to enlighten every person to this divine mystery. You need to know that that passion, like I share in that, like I want to, I want people enlightened to the reality of what Christ has done for them, what Christ is doing for them, and what Christ is doing through them for others. That's the mystery. I mean, the mystery that has been revealed, the secret is out, and it's basically this. As followers of Jesus, you and I are integrated into the divine nature of Jesus. And when we realize that, and when that becomes more and more a part of our everyday life as followers of Jesus, as we experience the presence of Jesus, as we understand like, the words that he's saying to us intuitively in our spirit as we're reading the scripture, as we're sitting in meditation of his words and we're opening ourselves to listening to what the spirit is saying. And we pray that the Holy Spirit would enlighten the eyes of our hearts so that we can see with vision. You have to know that this is not progressive Christianity This isn't because we're woke, you know, that we're doing this. This is old. Stand at the crossroads and ask for the ancient way and walk in that way. That's the encouragement. And the ancient way from the very beginning is this mystery that it is Jesus in you. That you have been integrated into Jesus. So you are in him as well. 
Think of it as a dissolving, which we don't like that phrase necessarily. That word, it, it kind of like brings to mind like I disappear. Well, may, maybe a little bit. Yeah, maybe a lot of it. Maybe Paul got it when he says it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. What if your old nature, the edemic nature, like in baptism, disappears into the water and dissolves? You need to know that the integration of your life into the life of Christ did not contaminate Jesus, but did the opposite. It empowered you. And that's the mystery that Paul was passionate about helping people understand. And it's what I want to talk about. It's what I am talking about. It's this integration. Now, we had a great time out at Emmaus in the yard last week. We missed you if you weren't there. It was beautiful. We talked about John 15. I want to pick this up in verse 7, John 15, 7. It's the familiar passage, I am the vine, you are the branches, abide in me, and I in you, and you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. All right. So I want to move through this just briefly, and then we'll kind of get into some uh, some deeper content here. So Romans 15, 7 through 9. If you live in life union with me and my words, my rhema words, the spoken words, live powerfully within you. In other words, if my words have taken hold within you, then you can ask, and the word literally means you can insist on whatever you desire and it will be done. I love that desire is brought in, that desire is honored. That desire has a place. I love that that when you ask from a place of deep desire, that you have, well, what did it say in Ephesians? Like, you know, we have free access as kings to the Father because of our confidence in the complete faithfulness of Jesus. Like when we step into that place of saying, Papa, this is what I desire. I want this to happen. You need to know that it, that desire is born out of the life union that you have with Jesus if his words, his rhema words, live powerfully within you. So it's not desire devoid of relationship with Jesus. It's not desire devoid of being influenced by the words of Jesus. It is desire that is born from a place of union with Christ. And I love that desire. And I want to speak out that you are, you're free to desire things. And you're free to speak those desires out to your friends and to the Lord when they're born from this place of like union with Christ and his words influencing your thinking. It says, when you live a life that bears abundant fruit, you demonstrate that you are my mature disciples who glorify the Father. You were made to be fruitful. And it brings glory to the Father. Now get this, in verse 9. I love each of you. Let's pause there. Can you hear Jesus say, I love you with the same love 
that the Father loves me. This is really powerful. And it goes on to say this, you must. Now, when Jesus uses the word must, that's like a mandate. Like, it's not really an option. You must continually let my love nourish your hearts. I'm going to read that again, John 15, 9. You must continuously let my love nourish your hearts. So confession hour here. I want to just share that there have been times in my life when I have prayed for people and the prayers were not answered. And it frustrated me and it caused me to shrink back. And it caused me to really doubt and question the truth of the word. It caused me to question my own like abilities. It, it diminished me. There was a lot about that that just was a swirl that I had to navigate through because I was reading scriptures like, hey, ask whatever you desire and it will be done. And I was asking God in prayer for things that were like sincerely legitimate needs. Like we're talking life and death stuff. We're talking, you know, um, we're talking about just God healing people. God healing my own family members. God saving the life of my son who did not live. And when you start to come into these storylines where you're just like, mm, not really sure what that's about. And it just draws you back into this place of like, I'm not sure I really want to pray for people. Then this is the encouragement. You must continuously let the love of Jesus nurture your hearts and nourish you. This love of Jesus that brings healing and nurture to your hearts, you have to know that that's essential for the fruitfulness of your life. Because if you stay leaning back, if you stay fearful, if you stay unengaged, then you'll never experience the fruitfulness that you were intended to live. And I just want to encourage you that when the love of Jesus nourishes your heart, it actually equips you for every good work that you were predestined for in Jesus. Let me say that again. When you allow your hearts to be nourished by the love of Jesus, you are being equipped for every good work that was predestined for you in Christ Jesus. What does it say in 2 Corinthians 5.14? Christ's love compels us. I won't say that I wasn't motivated out of love, but I will say that a lot of times when I was praying for people, I was motivated out of fear, fear of loss, I was motivated sometimes out of a sense of like obedience and duty. Like this is what I'm supposed to do. I was motivated out of all sorts of other things, not always motivated out of love. So let me just connect some dots. We must continuously let the love of Jesus nourish our hearts. When you have union with Jesus, 
And his words are speaking life to you and nourishing your heart. And you are growing more and more confident in the love of Jesus. That influences your desires. And when you bring those desires confidently before the Father, you're being motivated and compelled, not out of duty, not out of fear, not out of any other reason, but by love. And so, isn't it interesting that one of the reasons why people would say, I don't really want to be like a navel gazer. I don't really want to be in the quote, bless me club. Like this is not just about me receiving love. I would say that that is false. And that that is an excuse for you to stay insulated away from the mystery that is yours to enter into. The truth is, allowing the love of Jesus to nourish your heart is not selfishness. Neurobiology would tell you that people who are attuned to their heart, people with a high emotional quotient, you know, like the EQ, people who are self-aware, people who pay attention to what's going on in their heart, people who have the capacity to hold their emotions and sit in the place of, um, you know, just experiencing what's going on internally inside of them. Those are the people that are actually more empathetic. And those are the people that actually have the capacity, a greater capacity to love more wholesomely and more deeply. It's actually the opposite if you like avoid what's going on in your heart and if you do not let Jesus continuously nourish your hearts. You will become less empathetic and you will become less capable of loving other people. And so I would say in that case, you would be not compelled by love to do acts of service. You would probably be compelled by some sense of duty, some transactional relationship with God, whatever the case may be. I just want to speak to the to the very real truth that the mystery is you are integrated into the love of Jesus. And it's in that integration that you have been given the capacity to bear much fruit, fruit that remains, because you're being compelled out of love and the desires of your heart that you're bringing to the Father in prayer are actually being like formed in that place of love. So let that really sink in, okay? I want to change gears here just for a moment. I'm going to jump into some notes here that I actually wanted to share with you because it has to do with a phrase that we use for prayer. It has to do with the word contemplation. Prayer and contemplation are actually one and the same thing. If prayer means an experiential life exchange with the love of Jesus. If prayer is reduced to telling God what you want him to do only, then that is not contemplation. The word contemplation actually came out of the third century church. The first couple hundred years, um, the church was functioning where prayer and contemplation were actually one and the same thing. The word contemplation was not actually used. It was just prayer. But when Christianity became the state religion of Rome and 
Christianity began to be influenced by the culture of the Roman Empire, Christianity actually became um, less relational and more transactional. And part of the transactional relationship that we have with God is we're kind of telling God what we want Him to do, and then we work really hard to convince Him to do it. And there were people in that era of Christianity that were not buying it. They knew that there was more. They had either heard about or they had personally experienced the mystery, which is the integration of their life in the life of Christ. Instead of staying in the place of Rome or wherever they were, uh, they moved and a lot of them moved out into the desert. And they're what we might have heard as the desert fathers. They moved to eastern Turkey or to Egypt and they started to use the word contemplation instead of prayer. It meant the same thing originally, but what it had become, what prayer had become under the cultural influence church of Rome, uh, prayer had been reduced. And so the desert fathers began to use the term contemplation. And they were then known as contemplatives. And we don't need to get too mixed up in like, you know, the phrasing of all of that. Let's just say that contemplation is allowing the love of Christ to nurture your heart and for you to have an interactive conversational relationship, sometimes without words. Let me just put that in there uh, to tease you a little bit. But I would just say that became less transactional and more relational. And contemplation is actually the spiritual practice of praying. And oftentimes in places of silence and solitude, we see it with Jesus. He often went to the hillsides and spent time in silence and solitude with his father. We also see contemplation um, with the first generation apostles and, you know, the disciples. And there's 2,000 years of church history where this type of prayer, this integrated life with Jesus in prayer is normal. And it's something that we're invited into. And it's my passion, just as it is with Paul's, to enlighten you to the idea that you can have an integrated life with Jesus that is mysterious. And that's why the contemplatives were also known as the mystics. Now, this had nothing to do with other world religions like Hinduism and Buddhism and all these different things. It was deeply Christian, rooted in biblical foundations, supported by hundreds of years of church history that has now extended to thousands of years of church history. And you and I are invited into this relational dynamic of prayer called contemplation. Communion with the love of Jesus. The way I see it, uh, contemplative prayer, as we have described it here, is abiding in Christ. They're one and the same. And so the spiritual practices that help facilitate that union with the presence of Jesus is what we would call contemplative prayer. And so I just want to just kind of land on this one final thought here. 
Um, it may take a moment or two. I know this is getting a little longer than most videos, but I think it's worth the time. 2 Corinthians 5.13. Have you ever read this and thought, what in the world is he talking about? Here it is. 2 Corinthians 5.13. If we were out of our minds in a blissful divine ecstasy, it is for God. But if we are in our right minds, it is for your benefit. This is really a fascinating scripture. When you think about blissful divine ecstasy, the actual Greek word there uh, means to be outside of oneself in a state of blissful ecstasy and filled with pleasure, actually. And it goes on uh, to say that it's um, entering into another state of kind of being lost in wonder and amazement. Now, I'm just going to take it there, okay? This can be normal. And it doesn't have to be lumped up into the weird zone of charismatics, Pentecostals. What if the divine mystery and the union that we have with Christ could actually take us out of ourselves. Like, wouldn't that be nice if you were actually to have spiritual experiences that were not limited to your own thinking? Like, if you were out of your minds? Because the mind controlled by the flesh is death, Romans 8 says, but the mind controlled by the spirit brings life. So what if it was normal, nothing unbiblical, nothing anti-Christian here, but what if it was normal that part of our contemplative prayer experience was for us to enter into a blissful experience where we get lost in wonder and amazement? Do you believe that that would be a way that the love of Jesus could nourish your heart? I think this idea is really awesome. <laughs> I mean, if you think about it, um, it wasn't the wind or the earthquake or the fire that the Lord spoke to Elijah. It was the still, small voice. Intimate, personal communication. Isn't it interesting how David highlights the value of this kind of spiritual practice when he says, meditate within your heart on your beds and be still? And the psalmist echoes this. He actually echoes the Lord when he encourages us, be still and know that I'm God. What if there was this stillness that could come over us where we could actually enter into this blissful state of being like, well, what did it say? In 2 Corinthians 5.13, if we are out of our minds, it is for God. But if we are in our right minds, it is for your benefit. How about if it's not either or? How about if it's like, yes, go there. Go into contemplative prayer. Allow yourself to enter into the mystery of your union with Christ. Allow the spirit that is not bound by time and space to take you places. And then 
Come back and engage the people in your life in very real terms. I've heard it said that, you know, sometimes we can be so spiritually minded that we're no earthly good. How about if we become so spiritually minded that we're equipped to actually be earthly good? What if we get informed in this place of the mystery where the love of Jesus begins to not only nourish us, but compels us into this realm of ministering his life and his love in very real terms that people can understand and we don't have to be weird. We can just be real and authentic and we can love people. And what if we began to see fruit coming from that, not from our sense of duty or motivated out of fear to pray for people or whatever, whatever, whatever. But what if love and this place of the mystery with Jesus compels us to enter into our world around us in a way that really makes a difference? Friends, that's what I wanted to share with you today. God bless you. It's our joy to offer these podcasts. We sure hope you enjoyed it. If you have any questions, any prayer requests, feel free to drop us a line at Fellowship at iCloud.com. If you're curious about ways you can be more deeply involved in this community, visit our website at EmmausFellowship.org and be sure to like our Facebook page.